the next wave of investors into digital assets also has somewhat of a different mental model. They may or may not subscribe to the ideology of the Bitcoin white paper, but they are looking at this as an investment from a very pragmatic viewpoint, which is store of value, potentially uncorrelated, uh, the whole narrative of digital gold. And, you know, and I think that's exciting to see that we're starting to create a big tent and broaden the type of market participants that are starting to engage with this asset class. When Sunaina Tuteja first heard about Bitcoin back in 2012, she was skeptical to say the least. But after spending about nine months studying the world's first decentralized digital asset, she came to realize its potential to change the world, and she was hooked. Her interest in cryptocurrency went from being just an obsessive hobby to her full-time job last year when she was named Head of Digital Assets at TD Ameritrade. I caught up with Tunena and asked her about the future of crypto and the impact it could have on our industry on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining me here on the world of wealth tech. And this is the Wealth Management Day podcast, and I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting company called Ezra Group. We help wealth management firms make better technology and business decisions through our research and advice. On this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. Before I forget, please subscribe to uh, this podcast on any a system you listen to, uh, iTunes or anything else, and leave us a five-star review and also share on your social media networks. I'd really appreciate it. I was really happy to have my guest for this episode, Sunina Tuteja from TD Ameritrade, uh, because I spoke to her before on the Wealth Management Today podcast. She was a winner of Wealth Tech last year, almost exactly a year ago. So you can look up that episode and listen to um, a much longer interview which is more on the personal side and how she got into the industry and, and some of her thoughts and, and, and how she's uh, transcended to being where she is in the industry. Uh, this interview is more focused on digital assets, which is her current job. And I really liked this interview. I'm a blockchain enthusiast, or rather a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency enthusiast myself. So I'm always uh, interested to talk to someone who knows the industry and uh, knows about this commodity and how it can impact wealth management. So spending some time talking to Sunina about uh, investors and how they're thinking about it, how TD Ameritrade is thinking about Bitcoin and crypto, and uh, how RIAs might think about it and other advisors, broker-dealers might deal with cryptocurrency, and how the market is impacting crypto and how the uh, the pandemic is uh, impacting it as well. So lots of good stuff. Let's get started. And I'd like to welcome to this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, Sunaina Tuteja, Managing Director, Head of Digital Assets for TD Ameritrade. Hey, Sunaina, how are you doing? Hey, Craig. It's wonderful to be back um, talking to you again. Yes, you are back. And you've been on the podcast before. You were a winner of Wealth Tech uh, back last year. 
Yes, it seems like an eternity ago, considering recent months are an aggregate of weeks, not days. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we've, we've lived uh, many years in just the past few months. Yeah. So uh, how are you getting along with your home, working from home? You know, it's, uh, you know, I think like you, prior to being grounded, uh, I spent a lot of time on the road. So kind of working outside the office is not a new phenomena, but the adjustment that I've had to make is kind of being grounded and being in one place every single day, which is uh, very, a very alien concept to me when you're on the road all the time, hopping around time zones. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are days when you wake up and you're like, wait, what city and what time zone am I in? Okay. And now for the last 75 days, I've kind of been same city, same place, same routine. So yeah, it's kind of an alien yeah. concept, but you know, we're powering through this adventure. How about yourself? Yeah. Oh, doing well. Well, I, my business has always been remote. It's always been virtual. So I've run a virtual consulting company for the last 15 years. So all my employees and staff are all over the country. Uh, so it's no change for us, which is a good thing. And so we, we haven't had any disruption and we've uh, been able to keep functioning high levels and working with our clients who are broker dealers, banks, asset managers, and fintech firms. Yeah. That's excellent. I mean, I have been in awe to see financial services mobilize so quickly and make the transition. I think it speaks volume uh, in terms of, you know, the efforts that people have put together, but also, you know, looking at TD Ameritrade, one of the things we were very proud of is, you know, in a matter of days, we were able to transition over 10,000 of our associates to be able to work from home. And as you know, in a regulated space where your employees are licensed, there's record keeping and call recording, and all of that infrastructure that has to move, but also helping to transition our millions of, you know, retail clients, but also our RIA clients to start engaging on digital first basis. Um, you know, when branches are closed or, you know, call centers, uh, you're migrating everybody. And doing all of this when the markets were in times of turmoil, you know, one of the things that was validating is all of the bets that we've been making over the last few years in terms of emerging technologies or investments in cloud and mobile, all of that really kind of, it was a confluence of all of that coming together that enabled us and I would, you know, hazard a guess a, a lot of our colleagues in financial services to kind of make this transition the way we've had to. Indeed. So when we last spoke, you were uh, still the head of strategic partnerships and emerging technologies. And part of the, the things you spoke about, and I, I loved some of your speaking engagements and hearing you talk at conferences about emerging technologies. And one of those emerging technologies was blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And now that's all you do. You're now head of digital assets. Can you talk about that transition and why you moved into that space? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for better or for worse, I decided to go down the crypto rabbit hole full time. Um, but no, it was an amazing opportunity. And I think, again, speaks to the, the, the progressive mindset at TD Ameritrade. And I'm super grateful. I work at an organization um, that's an incumbent on Wall Street that embraces not just blockchain, but also Bitcoin, uh, which still seems like such a contrarian thing. And, you know, part of my emerging tech and partnership portfolio included blockchain. So, uh, you know, as we were commercializing different technologies and forming partnerships with big tech firms or startups or VCs in our quest 
to really commercialize things, solve problems, and kind of break down barriers in uh, financial services. Uh, blockchain was always a part of that. But about you know nine months ago or so, you know we came to the realization that you know there's a long runway uh, when it comes to digital assets that behooves us to really put more of a myopic focus in terms of time, money, people, uh, and, you know, kind of decided as hard as it was, you know how much I love my tire team, uh, gave <laughs> up the rest of my portfolio. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we had, you know, I had amazing members of my team who were groomed to kind of take it to the next level and then really kind of started anew to build a dedicated practice that was focused on digital assets and DLT. Uh, and happy to double click in terms of, you know, what encompasses that practice and how we're thinking about it. So let's talk about how TDA is embracing blockchain. Can you give me some ways that they're doing that? Yeah, I think, you know, the way we're looking at this is across the spectrum, right? Inclusive of the technology of blockchain, but also the emergence of the asset class that is digital assets. You know, as with any new technology, um, you know, you have to experiment quite a bit before you find that killer app. Um, just like for the internet, the killer app actually started with email. It was really the, the adoption and the network effect that email brought to bear that gave rise to, you know, the ubiquitous proliferation of the internet. With blockchain, while there are some really fascinating use cases, you know, from gaming to uh, use cases in traditional finance around automation and settlement, the reality is the killer use case of blockchain today uh, is digital assets, right? And interchangeably called cryptocurrencies, which actually works out very nicely for us because for 40 years, we've been in the business of bringing Wall Street to Main Street and building seamless on-ramps for investors to you know, trade and invest and tap into uh, traditional capital markets. So you know, we are able to really bring a lot of that ethos and now start to apply it to blockchain the technology, um, but also you know, in support of the rise of this new asset class. So can people buy uh, crypto through TD Ameritrade? Yeah, so we were actually one of the first in our category to enable uh, futures trading. So we do offer Bitcoin uh, futures trading in partnership with CME. And we're working on a few other on ramps uh, as part of our product development roadmap. Uh, but currently, as TD Ameritrade clients uh, can access the crypto markets using futures via a CME. And do you have any information on the, the volumes there? We haven't reported the volumes uh, publicly, but what I will say is we continue to see a steady growth quarter after quarter in terms of the adoption. The other thing that's really neat about kind of seeing this firsthand adoption is we're also able to glean a lot of important lessons in terms of consumer behavior and appetite. So I'll give you an example, right? Coming into this role, uh, now I've personally been obsessed with Bitcoin since 2012. I never thought that my job in traditional finance would one day intersect with my personal passion for Bitcoin. So, you know, my world's collided for good. So you're, you're incredibly wealthy. If you've bought Bitcoin since 2012, you're just working <laughs> because it's fun to work, right? I don't know. 
I don't know about that. Um, but it was, you know, I too had the mindset that this is an asset class that is most likely to attract client segments that maybe skew on the younger side of the demographics, perhaps the millennials, right? But one of the things we saw with our futures product is, sure, the millennial clients are the first adopters, but interestingly, so are their parents. So, you know, that was a very important, you know, voice of the client and client behavior input that's continuing to play an important role as we, you know, uh, launch and build the rest of our roadmap. So we're seeing more Gen X buyers of your Bitcoin futures than millennials. Absolutely. I mean, I think the other important distinction also is, you know, the next wave of investors into digital assets, whether they're retail clients or the RIAs, also have somewhat of a different mental model, right? They may or may not care about the ideology or subscribe to the ideology of the Bitcoin white paper, but they are looking at this as an investment from a very pragmatic viewpoint, which is store of value, potentially uncorrelated, uh, the whole narrative of digital gold. And, you know, and I think that's exciting to see that we're starting to you know, create a big tent and broaden the type of market participants that are starting to engage with this asset class. Let me take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite sponsors, and that is the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Uh, they are a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional, exceptional charitable work. With all that's going on in the world right now, nonprofits and those they serve are going to need more help than ever before. One way you can make a difference is by nominating an advisor for their Invest in Others awards. These awards not only recognize financial advisors for the charitable work that they do, but they also give out critical funding to the nonprofits they're involved with, up to $50,000. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is extending the nomination deadline uh, for their latest round of awards to Friday, April 17th. To give you more time to submit a nomination, please visit www.investinothers.org forward slash nominate to learn more. That brings me to another question. So there, there are people who thought of Bitcoin as digital gold and a store of value, but there was also a, a large portion of people who are on the Bitcoin bandwagon who think Bitcoin should become more of a payments processor. Uh, but no one's really using it for that. The volumes, I believe, are very low in terms of people using Bitcoin as a form of payment. Would you agree with that? Or do you see that just a matter of time before more people start using it for that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good observation, Craig. I mean, if you read the Bitcoin white paper, which I encourage your audience members to kind of uh, look up and read, it is, after all, the owner's manual. Uh, you know, it, it, in fact, Satoshi's initial thesis was really about Bitcoin being this censorship-resistant payments network. Um, you know, one of the neat things about, you know, Bitcoin is if you look at the last decade, and it's really been a decade of existence for Bitcoin, the number of the narratives that have been ascribed to Bitcoin, you know, it's a payments network, uh, it's digital gold, it's a safe haven asset, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there are a lot of smart arguments that can defend each of those narratives. And, you know, I often joke in a way Bitcoin has become a Rorkshark test. Different people see the potential in it that they wanted to, which I think is very exciting. 
What I would say today, the, the use case that seems to prevail is the store of value, the digital gold narrative. Um, you know, there's a lot of exciting work happening around payments, especially with Lightning uh, and some of that innovation, which, you know, could hopefully make it so. Uh, but right now, you know, the investment thesis and the digital gold narrative and thesis seems to be the one that's superseding. Let's talk about some recent Bitcoin news and how it would impact the wealth management industry. Can you explain uh, for the listeners what the Bitcoin having was? Having being not have, like I have this, but having as in cutting in half. Yes. So what was that about? Why is that important for people who are interested in, in investing in Bitcoin? Yeah, no, great question. So mid-May, uh, Bitcoin underwent this event called Bitcoin having or having, as some people like to say. Uh, we'll stick with having. Having is a little too uh, Lord of the Rings for me. So we'll stick with having. It, it is a quadrennial event. The last one being uh, 2016 and prior to that in 2012. Largely, the having is a technical process. So what happens is the supply of Bitcoin that comes into circulation gets cut in half every four years. And this is built into the DNA, the code of Bitcoin, and it's programmatic. You know, what's actually really positive and kind of speaks to the resiliency of the Bitcoin network is despite what was happening in the world with COVID and the macroeconomic conditions, the having took place as it was programmed in the code to take place, you know, which speaks a lot. Uh, to the resilience of the network and the asset class. Um, while it is largely a technical event, as I mentioned, it has a huge implication on the asset class, especially from a pricing perspective. And thus, you know, it was very much top of mind for uh, us, you know, crypto nerds, but it also drove a lot of interest uh, and awareness amongst, you know, consumers who were really looking at it. You know, one of the stats that was very powerful to me was the number of searches on Google this year about Bitcoin halving were 300% higher than the last halving, which was in 2016. So, you know, the reason these events are critical, other than the price movement, you know, which we can double click into, for us at TD Ameritrade, the reason we watch it closely is these events can serve as a catalyst to further expand the market participants, right? New people want to learn about it, want to get educated, and maybe for the first time invest in this asset class. So for me, these events are important because it's kind of a formation of that big tent effect. And we definitely saw that at TD Ameritrade, lots of interest from RIAs, from our retail investors, and just a lot of dialogue and education with them, which was, you know, really important and exciting. What about the Bitcoin narrative that it was uncorrelated with the market and it actually fell with the market? So how did that happen? Why that happened? And is that something that's changed now? And are we going to see more of a correlation with Bitcoin? And it's not going to be something you invest into to, to diversify. Yeah, you know what? That's a very good uh, argument. And, you know, it's, it's a question I've been asked often because one of the narratives, as you mentioned, that was put up for Bitcoin, investing in Bitcoin was this potential notion of 
uncorrelated. And that narrative definitely has been punctured when Bitcoin kind of moved in tandem pretty much with the S&P when we saw, you know, the meltdown in the markets in March and, you know, into April. What I would submit, however, is the data set is still very small. And what I mean by that is, if you recall, Bitcoin genesis was after the last big crisis we saw, which was the global financial crisis. It was, you know, in 2009 that somebody, Satoshi Nakamoto, published the Bitcoin white paper. So, and, and you know, throughout its life, Bitcoin has pretty much lived in an ongoing bull run, right? It's never been stress tested. This was the first big macro event in its 10-year history where Bitcoin has truly been stress tested and been exposed to bear market conditions. So we definitely kind of saw that narrative of being uncorrelated punctured, but I would say so did oil, right? So did gold. Like gold was moving just in tandem with S&P and gold has had decades, if not centuries, to kind of build up its street cred of being uncorrelated or safe haven assets. So, you know, I think we need kind of a longer horizon to continue to stress test it. Um, so I'm not yet willing to give up on the narrative that Bitcoin can be uncorrelated. I just think it's too small right now. It's too nascent. And we'll kind of need to kind of look at it from a, you know, long game perspective. You're not willing to give up on it yet. Yeah, and I think and there's different narratives, right? I think different people come into, back to my comment about it being a Rorschach test, you know, there, there's a lot of narrative validation or violation during these times of stress events. And, you know, there's some things about Bitcoin that are proving up really well. One of the things that is starting to really gain traction on Wall Street of all places is Bitcoin becoming an investment as a hedge against inflation. You know, we saw Paul Tudor Jones kind of publicly state that he and his hedge fund are now invested in Bitcoin. And he kind of compared it to his thesis in the 1970s with gold. Um, so, you know, I think different narratives continue to sprout. And then there's narratives that maybe we have to say, hey, that worked for a while, but it's not going to anymore. The last one I'll say about the narrative is the change in market participants will also change the nature of Bitcoin. And what I mean by it is five years ago, or even a few years, two, three years ago, majority of the people that were maybe investing in Bitcoin were the early adopters who kind of came in for the ideology or people that were maybe very tech savvy and were, you know, uh, kind of intrigued by the technology. So it was a very small group, but it was also cohesive kind of, kind of what we call hodlers, which is I'm going to buy and hodl. I'm not going to here for the speculation or the trading. I believe in it. I'm going to buy and hold for whatever, uh, however long I want. But as the market participants and the diversity of market participants has changed, where you have hedge funds, you have endowment funds, you have uh, active investors and traders coming into it, they're bringing a different mindset and ethos. And, you know, what we saw during the, the crisis was you know, when you need liquidity, you are going to sell anything you can sell, whether it's equities, oil, gold, Bitcoin, you name it, because, you know, cash really is king. So, you know, I think some of that change in market participants also is having an influence on the evolution of Bitcoin's narrative. Is TD seeing more advisors investing their clients' portfolios into Bitcoin? I would definitely say that the RIAs are at an interesting inflection point. Uh, Craig, as you know, we host our annual 
uh, RIA event every year at the end of January, which again seems like an eternity ago. Uh, but at our last link conference in partnership with Rick Edelman, uh, who you know, and friend of the advisor community, we hosted a full day education event for the RIAs. And really the goal was to help, you know, to help build awareness and acumen so they can kind of get comfortable with it, have an understanding where they can also serve the needs of their clients. And at one point I asked a room of like, you know, hundreds, thousands of advisors and said, how many of you believe Bitcoin is a fad? And none of the hands went up and you know, this is not a shy group, right? And I then said, okay, how many of you would have raised your hands a year ago or two years ago? And pretty much all hands went up. And then talking to the advisors, we were really hearing that there's this inflection point where their clients are starting to ask them about it and they really need to understand. And listen, we're not in the advice giving business, but we do believe that we wanna give them credible information and education. And as I say to everybody, it is totally cool to be skeptical. And in, in fact, I encourage skepticism. When I first heard about Bitcoin in 2012, it took me like a good nine months to get my head around it because, you know, you almost have to suspend belief of certain things to, to fully get this. But what I tell people is skepticism is totally kosher. But what is no longer kosher is apathy. You cannot be ignorant about it. You have to lean in. You have to learn because uh, ultimately knowledge is power. And hence, education is an area where we've invested a lot of time and effort to make sure whether you're an active trader, retail investor, or an RIA, that you have access to credible education, good understanding. And then, you know, you can make the best decision you want for yourself and your clients. So can I quote you on that? Bitcoin apathy is no longer kosher. Oh, yeah. I tell people all the time, skepticism is okay. Apathy, not kosher. <laughs> so do you, what's your prediction for wealth management with Bitcoin and other cryptos? So Bitcoin is, the only, is not the only cryptocurrency, right? It's, the, it's clearly the, the largest, but we have lots of other ones like Ethereum, Ripple, uh, Litecoin, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Stellar. What, do you see baskets of crypto becoming more uh, the way advisors will invest, or do you think Bitcoin will still become the primary way? Yeah, I mean, and I agree. We've kind of been focused on Bitcoin, but the universe of uh, digital assets is uh, pretty big and continues to grow. What I would say is there is a bit of that 80-20 rule where if you're just getting into digital assets or, you know, if you already are in digital assets, a lot of people tend to start with Bitcoin or stay with Bitcoin before they kind of get into some of the other coins. So, you know, that's definitely an important focus area for us. I think in terms of wealth management, you know, this is something I actually share a lot with my colleagues and friends that are in the native crypto community, kind of, you know, creating a bridge between traditional wealth management and the, the proliferating space of digital assets is there's actually a lot of resonance uh, in what's happening with digital assets to what's happened in wealth management over the last 40 years. And, 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 you know, and the story I share with them is about Mayday, which you know very well, right? Until Mayday came along on May 1st, 1975, access to capital markets was reserved for a very small group that either had the right connection or a lot of money and capital to gain access, right? May 1st, 1975 came around, the rule change with Mayday completely changed the landscape and disrupted Wall Street. It gave rise to our entire industry, the RIA industry, the discount brokerage industry. So, you know, we're definitely seeing that same resonance and that same ethos democratizing access 
breaking down barriers uh, and kind of leveling the playing field of bringing Wall Street to Main Street, apply to digital assets. And I recently was on a biography binge and, uh, you know, read Joe Ricketts' biography, The Harder You Work, The Luckier You Get, and Charles Schwab's biography, Invested. And it was amazing. If I had removed the word discount brokerage from their stories, a lot of kind of what they went through in building this industry it's actually very similar to what we're going through as we're building up the digital assets industry. So I think we can learn a lot from what wealth traditional wealth management has been able to build and really accomplish in the last 40 years in terms of, you know, empowering everyday Americans to take charge of their financial future. And I think digital assets is the next step in that legacy and frankly a key reason as to why TD Ameritrade is leading into it you know it's driven by client demand and it's also driven by you know our DNA and continuing this legacy of you know leveling the playing field for everyday investors in the RIA community. Can we talk a little bit about the ways that TD Ameritrade is kickstarting innovation in digital assets what are some of the things you guys are doing to uh, bring more digital assets into the wealth management space? Yeah, so our practice, uh, really, as we look at the spectrum, there's three key prongs to our approach. The first is products and services. So what products and services can we build that can enable uh, traditional investors and RIA community engage with this asset class? And, you know, so what's on ramp? can we turn on? And for us, we're guided by this notion of, you know, choice is good, right? Just as on the traditional asset class side, if you wanted to engage with the markets by buying an ETF or equities trading or getting into derivatives trading, we've created all those on-ramps that are simple, fast, and easy and at your fingertips. We want to create the analogous of that for digital assets trading, that if you have a finite amount of investable assets, you know, investing in the traditional markets or investing in the crypto markets, the on-ramp and the usability and the experience should be, you know, very similar and easy. Now, there's a lot of work to be done on the digital asset space, but, you know, that's the product uh, and services side. The second prong is really partnerships and investments. Very similar to my last assignment, really looking to work with, you know, key startups and tech companies uh, and, you know, either invest in them or co-create with them. You know, we know what we can bring to the table given our 40-year history in capital markets, but who can we partner with, for example, in the DeFi space, so, you know, it's one plus one equals six and kind of be a force multiplier for the ecosystem. And then the third way to kind of bring this access to consumers is really around education and advocacy, which I touched on. Um, while there was going back to my personal example in 2012, when I got into it, there wasn't a lot of material online that I could read and learn about Bitcoin. There was a white paper, which even I had to read like 10 times to fully comprehend. But, and today there's like a Cambrian explosion of content, but we need to make sure that content resonates with our clients and with the RIAs. So really delivering education about digital assets in kitchen English and kind of stripping out all the crazy technical lexicon and making it real for them and also delivering it in a diversity of modalities so they can kind of consume content on the go. That's an area we've been focused on. And similarly with advocacy, working hand in hand with the regulatory community, right? Because 
we want to do this and we want to do this right with utmost pragmatism and prudence. So when consumers do engage with this asset class, their safety and soundness is number one priority. And that is to be expected considering you work for a custodian. Indeed. That, you know, going to law school is finally paying off. <laughs> yeah. So the safety and soundness is uh, very high on your list. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I don't want to build and launch something that, you know, is going to get shut down because we weren't purposeful and methodical you know, in kind of building that product or, you know, it works for a thousand people, but you can't scale it up to like, you know, 10 million consumers. So, you know, just as we did in my last assignment with the Tiger team, we very much engage with and bring all of my BFFs from legal compliance, risk, uh, regulatory affairs, you know, from day one. And they're part and parcel of helping us build these products, form these partnerships. It's grateful to be at a company where one of the biggest champions for digital assets and, you know, one of my favorite partners to engage with is our chief risk officer, right? He's just as engaged and bullish about digital assets and loves to nerd out about it as much as I do. And I think that's uh, really important because we recognize it's a nascent technology, it's a nascent asset class, and we are in a unique position to really, you know, bring it to the masses, but we need to do it with utmost, you know, prudence and with pragmatism. Okay, so before we wrap things up, I want to do a little lightning round. We've talked about the lightning network and we're going to talk about the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions to get your opinion. Okay. End of this year, what's your price of Bitcoin? Oh, no, I don't get into prices. No, 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 no. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that because <laughs> I'm not going to make anybody happy. So no, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> okay, so when does crypto, not necessarily Bitcoin, when does crypto become a standard asset class that most advisors are putting in the portfolios? Um, I think uh, I would project in the next couple of years. So very soon. We're starting to see that, right? Because, you know, what we're starting to see with some of the managed products uh, and the engagements, uh, and, you know, and I think Rick talked about it much more eloquently that even a 1% allocation into crypto or, or Bitcoin and how that fares in the long term for a client's portfolio, it, it, it's very powerful. And again, uh, hard to ignore. <laughs> Ignorance is not an option, right? You should not ignore Bitcoin or blockchain. Yeah. And yeah, he does suggest a 1% allocation and that will be a lot if every you know if advisors control with seven trillion dollars if that if they all put one percent in bitcoin that would be a huge bump for the uh for that commodity right hey listen slow and steady does win the race so uh, i go back to it's uh, you know a lot you know some of the advisors will often come up to me and say oh my god i feel like i'm late to this i'm like no you're not this is all 10 years old this is all in formation phase um, yes, it seems like some people who are into it kind of nerd out and kind of go deep into the rabbit hole. But here's the thing, everybody's learning. And that's one of the things I tell everybody, including, you know, your audiences. If somebody walks up to you and says, hi, I'm an expert in Bitcoin or blockchain or crypto, you run far and you run fast because the people who are truly experts and know the space are humble enough to say we are all learning and we're all building together. And on that note, I'm going to wrap things up. Thank you so much, uh, Sunana, for being with us on the program and sharing some of your knowledge and experience in the digital world. And we're all moving towards there together. Delightful to be here. Thank you, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. Hope you enjoyed this episode with uh, Sunana. It was really interesting to me. I couldn't get enough. I can talk about uh, Bitcoin, digital assets, cryptocurrency all day, but we had to cut it off at some point. A couple of uh, the most important uh, topics I highlighted 
as they're taking notes uh, while she was talking. Uh, I really thought there the work that TD Ameritrade has done, they seem to be the leader in digital assets in the REA custodian space, clearly. Uh, they have the most options available, the most uh, ability for uh, investors uh, to trade and invest in different cryptocurrencies and digital assets. I'm looking for them to have a lot more impact on the market. Uh, I liked when she was talking about COVID being the first stress test for cryptocurrencies. Since they were really created, Bitcoin was created uh, after the 2008 crisis. So there hasn't been a, a market meltdown as we've seen uh, with COVID to, to stress uh, the cryptocurrency infrastructure. And it, while, the, while uh, Bitcoin did go down and a lot of other cryptocurrencies did go down, uh, their, their infrastructures stayed up. Uh, trading infrastructure stayed up, their protocols and networks stayed up. So all a good sign. Uh, I loved her comment, uh, Bitcoin apathy is no longer kosher uh, with advisors. You, every advisor, every, uh, every person in the industry should know at least what it is and how to talk to clients about cryptocurrency and whether they think they should invest in it or not, they should be able to talk intelligently about it. A great meeting they had with Rick Edelman, a great, uh, rather great advisor conference with Rick Edelman, educational event. I wish I was there. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up and see what he said about, uh, about crypto. And finally, how um, some of the things that D TD Ameritrade is doing to kickstart innovation, there are different prongs for their approach, uh, products and services, education and advocacy, all good stuff to help uh, explain to advisors some of these new digital assets and how they're, they're coming in to take over the market. They're the future. Please share this wherever you can. Uh, give us a five-star review. And this is Craig again, signing off. I'll talk to you again next time.